Tom Kearney on to his right foot and he cracks it home. Brilliant finish from Harrison Reed. Hello and welcome to the That's So Craven podcast, your Fulham podcast from Down Under. We are back again, this time to discuss a huge opportunity missed with the 3-0 loss against Newcastle. The red mist falling over Raul Jimenez, who is on an absolutely insane scoring run. And uh, yeah, all fell to pieces, unfortunately. Here to discuss it all, we have Elton. How are we going? Hey Jack. Uh, hi Sam. Um, hello everyone. I'm glad to be here. I'm feeling very refreshed after a tough, tough watch. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about all of this. Lovely. And Sammy, how are we tonight? I don't like Newcastle. I've really, I've really come to that conclusion now. This is the repeat offence. They seem to be a bit of a bogey team of ours. And uh, I'm sick of it. And outside of that, I guess I'm okay. Like I, I, I had a nice dinner, you know. And yeah, I'm happy to be here. I'm always happy to be here. Yeah, interesting way to answer the question, but we'll crack straight mm-hmm. into it anyway. Mm-hmm. So, um, look, a, a disappointing loss, guys. I think, uh, Dad, you you said it yourself just there, but it's taken me a couple of days to really walk away from that and recover, if you will, because it was so disappointing. We talked about it being such a big opportunity and we just sort of let it slip through our fingers and it was entirely our own fault. Um, 11 versus 11, this was game on. But unfortunately, when you're playing 10 men, even against a very tired Newcastle side, they were always going to come out on top. And um, they did. Dad, do you feel like an opportunity missed here? Oh, completely. I don't think we were overstating it to believe that we had a really, really good opportunity. <clears throat> we're in great, we're in great form. We, we, we still are in great form, but certainly coming into this, um, and given where Newcastle were, just kind of semi on the ropes, tired, tough fixture, a couple of days before a loss, and uh, so many injuries. It, it just, it was there. It was there for the mauling, wasn't it? Really. Yeah, the first 20 minutes were really good. I think that's the thing I think that's the thing that like probably upsets me the most about it all is that there was there was a real a glimmer of hope and I I I felt a tremendous amount of pride and I was really 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 up for it and it just turned so quickly, didn't it? <laughs> well, I I don't want to be too downbeat here because I think I, I still think we played really well, but you just cannot First do half, it for, yeah. for, for 50 minutes. Yeah. Uh, a man down and at Premier League level, possibly Sunday league level. Yeah. <coughs> and admittedly. And so admittedly. and I think yeah. we actually we actually responded pretty well, really, mm. given it that it happened so early in the game. It was such mm. a long way to go. Mm. Um and but I I'll tell you one thing. Um, you know. In, in the world of football, people are so quick to say we move on, on to next week. And I, I remember playing sport, you know, whether it be football or cricket or whatever. As a player, I actually found that relatively easy to do because you're back training very quickly and you're quickly focused and the whole camp's focused on the next week. But as a fan, I actually find that really difficult to do. You know, <laughs> I, 
I'm, I'm astonishingly deeply invested, uh, and it is crushing. And I, I'm, I'm a grown man. Right? I can't. I have to admit it. It's actually so difficult. Oh well, that's just like a control freak thing. It's like um, you would uh, rather be a pilot than a passenger on a plane. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I, th I think that's just the beauty of sport is the fact that it affects you emotionally so much even though we're on the other side of the world it, it ruins your night <laughs> ruins oh, your whole weekend honestly you just um and and it's you're watching 11 people take on 11 people on a little tv screen um well thousands of miles away from you but it still has this impact on you and um, um it shifts sorry, your moods and that's the joy of it all what is it is it really <laughs> It I think is. it's the drama. It's the drama. But here, well, here's here's the further thing, right? Anniversary. Had a beautiful day. Had a lovely evening. Wonderful dinner. Excellent food. Came home, and I respectfully declined to even mention that there was a game of full of Fulhamon. Well and, played. Uh, well played. I, I, yeah. So I thought I'd just sit back and wait for the inevitable moment. The mum stuck the TV on anyway and watched the crown. I thought, hang on. Um, <laughs> I'm doing this. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So I, I turn it on anyway. So I'm watching it on my phone, and um, at the end of it, it kind of ruined my day, and I really had to work hard to go. No, no, no. This has been a great day. This has been an excellent, <laughs> such a lovely day. But I was really struggling with it. And uh, anyway, amen. Marriage and football does. teams. Marriage and football teams. It's we choose somebody who is going to hurt us. And we go, you are the person I will allow to hurt me, you know, because it'll inevitably happen, but you need to choose But at, at the same time, you look over the last couple of weeks and how great the results have been. Even the loss against Liverpool, despite it being a loss, was still a good result and you didn't feel too downbeat afterwards. Um, nah. So it's it's the, the, I mean, it's two sides of the coin really for this kind of thing, but it's, um yeah, this, this, one, this one stung. And I think it's because there was an opportunity to, finally do something and, and look like a proper team. And it's been a, a pretty tough start to the season for us, really, in terms of getting everything right and having everything click. And this felt like one of those moments where everything comes together and it's a culmination of a couple of good weeks of results. And this would be the game where we really take it to a team that are fighting for the top four, the top six. Mm. And we shot ourselves in the foot. And look, I, I do agree we did play fairly well in the first 20 minutes. I thought it was pretty even and we gave them a good game, but we've seen it against Newcastle. We saw it against Man United last season. A question to you both. Do you think Fulham, this Fulham team especially, has a bit of a penchant for implosions when in good positions? Yeah. No, I, no, I don't I don't think that's a, a problem generally. I think, I think this is a very unique kind of situation and um you know whereas metro uh, i don't know i think that was a, a, a bomb really waiting to happen a lot of people talk like to mention the fact that Mitch, metro restrained himself and there was no you know there were no super dramatic incidents in for for, for much of his career at fulham and yet he always looked like blowing up, so it wasn't that big a surprise that he absolutely created. Whereas I think this was different for um, for Raoul. I think he's had such a damn tough time 
over the last few years and and then weeks with us and it's finally started to happen for him he gets a pretty rough trot in this game in the first 22 well 18 19 minutes which i'd love to talk about and pull apart completely and i think you have to be honest and say that he he really doesn't manage the situation very well i you think know, i i mentally. think mitch i think mitrovic is um uh, the drunk boyfriend who crashes a car because he's angry and I think uh, Jimenez is the drunk, really fun friend that you have that crashes the car because they're just not paying attention and just enjoying themselves a little bit too much. But in mm. both in both ways, they both they both make silly decisions. Um, uh, I, like mm. I really no, like I'm Jimenez. Not, yeah, <clears throat> I, I don't totally agree with that. That's okay. You don't I, have to. That's that's the point of discourse. I, I, I actually I actually think it, there was a lot of frustration in mm-hmm. what happened with Raúl. Uh, I, I think he felt uh, that it was all very unjust, and mm. and I think he, it's like I, I cannot believe it. I'm in the form of my last couple of months, at least not my life, but the last couple of months is suddenly coming together, and you, you're handbreaking me. What are you doing? And I think he just couldn't get past it, mm. and <clears throat> from that perspective. I don't know if it was a plan, but if I look at look at it, the chronology, there was pretty heavy treatment for him, and Newcastle were quite physical with us in general in that first yeah. twenty minutes. Look, it definitely didn't feel fair, but at no point am I going to um, fully defend Raul here because he did do a pretty ridiculous, oh. like, yeah. No, ridiculous I, I wasn't trying to defend. I was trying to explain. Yeah. I'm not defending at all. Oh, Just, look. Because he 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 got done in a way mm. by I think three elements I think a very physical Newcastle a very physical man marking him he got done by St James's Park in full voice and the ref who was overwhelmed by the situation. Mm. Oh, I heard Sean. I heard Sean Wright Phillips actually say in um, the post game, he was like, uh, "If I if I was marking Raúl, that would have literally just gone straight over me." But unfortunately, he's just too tall. Yeah, yeah. Jack sitting very quietly yeah. and deep in thought there. Well, no, I I mean, I I think for me, Raúl, I don't think it was a plan from Newcastle to um, actually rile him up. I actually think the referee handled it terribly. He let a lot of very physical actions go uh, for for Newcastle. Didn't seem to blow much up, blew us up quite a few times for smaller infringements. Um, And look, Jimenez cops an elbow to the head. Mm. Weird that the referee didn't even stop play. Head injury should see play stopped, especially with a player who's got a history of serious head injuries. Due to care failure. Weird that VAR didn't check that, considering it was uh, a flailing elbow and potentially a, an obvious error from the referee. To me, that was an obvious error. Um, mm. And look, I, I think Jimenez just lost the plot. He he mm-hmm. was chasing the ball around, and we've seen him do it a little bit before, where he chases the ball around hard when things aren't really going mm. for him. Mm. And he went a little bit headless chicken there off the back of getting mm. some pretty poor decisions. And it wasn't just him who got poor decisions. It was other players as well. Um, I see what he's trying to do. He's jumping in the expectation that the defenders and the defender looks like they're going to try and just dink the ball over the top of him. Yeah. Instead, the defender 
hits it low. I think if the defender actually attempts to dink it over the top of him and let's say the ball hits Jimenez and then Jimenez clatters the player, it's probably not a red card. Yeah. Um, even on review because he's made uh, an action that makes total sense. He's jumping for a ball that's then been kicked into him. So he's going for the ball fair and square. The problem is because the ball gets kicked underneath him, it looks mm. like he's not going for the ball at all. And so I understand why it's been given. Look, I, I said before, it looked more like an AFL tackle than something you ever see in the Premier League. And even then for an AFL tackle, that's a pretty bad one. Mm. Um, it's one of those so weird ones, isn't I, it? Because it's not malicious, but it's very stupid. And you're, mm. you, you you can mm-hmm. give out red cards for stupid behaviour. So I, I mean, I, red I don't cards agree often it, give, but... get given, out, given for non-malicious tackles where you've just lifted your boot too high and you've come in late. Yeah, I'm it's not Tyrese Mitchell necessarily like, um... malicious, um, but it's a bad tackle and it's it's dangerous. And let's be honest, this is fairly dangerous. His hip go hip bones connecting with the player's head. Mm. Um, oh. no, I, 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 look, I understand yeah. I... why it's been overturned and given a red. The the issue here is VAR is meant to be for clear and obvious errors. It's not like the referee missed what happened. The referee said, "Yes, this is worth a card." It, it did seem a little strange to me that it's then getting checked for a red card when he's already penalised. It was obviously a bad late tackle, but I, I think uh, common sense should have prevailed here, and I don't think it did. Yeah. Well, the, the the problem is that VAR set up to to uh, counter clear and obvious error doesn't take into account whether it's malicious or not. It's just whether they think the refs actually made a mistake. And, I, I, I you know, wildly inconsistent. If I look at the, the build-up to this, at the sixth minute, Polina's kicked when he's about to take a shot just outside the box, put on his ass. So what happened? No, nothing at all. Um, and then in the eighth minute, um, um, Jimenez is actually running down the left-hand side. He's over the ball. And I think it's Dan... Burn, I think it's burn. Yeah, it it, it so. pushes him in in his back, it pushes him over, and then manages to squeeze the ball out to Callum Wilson. Gets in front of Tosin, earns a, a, a decent free kick in a really good area. <laughs> and then the tenth minute, um, Jimenez is dropping deep, and he goes up for a header, and he cops one in the back of the neck or head, absolutely mm-hmm. nothing. Mm-hmm. And and then of course in the sixteenth minute. Um, sorry, um, 16th minute LaSalle's. And, and I th- I think the commentator makes light of that. Uh, oh, it's just uh, an unfortunate elbow. If you look at what actually happened there, Jimenez is ahead of LaSalle's. He sees the Yeah, ball Jimenez is in a better coming. position. He gets in front, LaSalle's right? tries to edge his way past using his elbow. And, well, then Jimenez backs into him. And mm. and Lasell definitely uses his elbow to to move him out of the way, yeah. and you cannot convince me that that's not aggressive. Uh, if that was at his body, it would still be aggressive, but it happens to hit his chin, which is unfortunate. Um, but I I don't know. As I said to Jack after the game, if if that happens in the box against us, is that a penalty? It's a hundred percent a penalty. Yeah, right. It's contact, and it's, you're actually putting the player on his ass. Uh, quite apart from the duty of care, specifically towards Jimenez, which I think the ref has got here, which he just 
I, I, I was gobsmacked. I, I would, I would actually ignorant. almost disagree with you, Dad, that that would be a penalty. I think that stuff gets let go often in the box because it's crowded and there are arms going everywhere and people going everywhere. The, the surprising thing is it's in the middle of the park. That's when those things get given usually. Like you get the mm. softer ones in the middle of the park where, yes, he's got his elbow. Okay. It doesn't really matter if you forget, give away forget the free kick. Forget the I, penalty. I, I think – I think you're right, though. It's it's definitely a free kick, and it should be a free kick everywhere. I don't know why it wasn't given or even looked at. I, I don't even think VAR looked at it. They didn't. No. Which is really. which is astonishing. Um. <clears throat> so anyway, um. And, and look on I, that point as well. There was another point later in the game where Tom Kearney's running on the break and gets quite obviously pushed, shoved ooh. off the ball on yeah. on a fairly oh, yeah. good opportunity for a quick break for us. And the referee just lets it go. Doesn't even call a foul for it. Should have been a definite yellow card because it's a player obviously stopping a breakaway. The, the referee just, for me, that was one of the worst refereeing performances I've seen all season, even including that Man City goal where the ref said the player wasn't getting in the way and some of the other performances we've seen this year, which are, which have been terrible. But this takes a biscuit for me as, as just the most one-sided refereeing performance I've seen mm. in a very long time where he really it was either influenced by the crowd or influenced by the opposition team or just seemed like he would never give a free kick to Fulham mm. because he was worried that the crowd might cheer too loudly and boo him too loudly. And every time yeah. there was an opportunity to give Newcastle a free kick, straight in. Well, yeah. I, I'm going to refrain uh, from saying... <clears throat> He was biased, but there's there is no doubt, no doubt in my mind that he was heavily uh, manipulated influenced. and influenced, influenced by yeah. no influence is a better word by by the crowd. St James's Park, make no mistake about it, is an incredibly difficult place to play mm. as an opposition club. You know, St. James's Park, and I looked into this because I'm really wound up about it, um, 54,000. I think um, it's it's on a par with some of the bigger stadiums around the ground. But, you know, City, they don't get full houses. When when we play, when we play uh, Man United, Old Trafford is often not full. Mm. Uh, Anfield, mm. arguable. Um, St. James's Park, the Toonami are incredible. And That's I, the reason why the Saudis them. bought them. <laughs> like no, no, the no, Saudis bought them because it was guaranteed <clears throat> because the amount of like support they actually have. Yeah, okay, okay. Get off your Saudi thing for a minute. But, but what I'm is saying true. is that is a very, very difficult place to play. And and so you need you need a really, really experienced ref. And I know you don't like bashing refs, and I'm not I'm not actually trying to bash a ref here. I'm actually seriously highlighting a massive, massive problem that I think we're going to look back or successive generations are going to look back at the, the, the Premier League and go, there is a massive mismatch here in terms of the quality, the number of eyeballs, the football quality, number of eyeballs, and the quality of the refing and, you know, yeah, the, what, what's the right word for... The standard. The, I mean, let's yeah. let's not pretend that the refereeing has all of a sudden been poor. The re and let's also not pretend that referees haven't always been criticised for their 
performances as well. You look back, you know, 40, 50 years ago, people still complain about refereeing performances from, from certain matches. And there's definitely it's, – it's a tough gig, especially when you go to somewhere like St. James's Park where mm. there's a lot of pressure on you from the people in the crowd. There's a lot of pressure on the occasion you're refereeing in the Premier League. This ref just wasn't up to it. And I think the biggest thing that they can do is just promote referees and have a pathway up uh, sooner the better because um, the, the standard no. is poor. And the only way to raise a standard is to continue to bring young referees up who maybe aren't as experienced, but get them the experience at the top level as soon as possible and, and almost throw them in the deep end because, uh, well, you, I, I don't know what other way there is to improve the refereeing standard. How I else mean, do you like that i mean you can do you can do like a black cabbie situation where it takes them like eight years for them to even qualify to be a um that's what cabbie. it is no no no, no. Make it even more exclusive <laughs> no 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 okay. uh, i actually think I, you could argue that the incumbents who have done their time are actually allowed to stay even if they're having a bad run of form no yeah, i think so that's I, true. I, I don't i don't 100 yeah. agree with that sam but i i looked at i thought about it you know, the last couple of days, and I thought, look at the Premier League. You know, we have, in order to excel, for there was forever the pressure to develop the local players, just as there is in every developing country, and to give <clears throat> English players a go so that you can actually develop a national team and the game grows as a whole. But long ago, the Premier League has switch courses and gone, no, we want to make money. We want to be the best league. And it is the best league. And how have they done that? They've got mm. amazing international coaches, the very best. They've got amazing international players scouted from all around the globe, the very best. But how many foreign referees, the very best, do we have in the Premier League? Well, I think the I foreign count referees... One. I think the foreign referees are actually probably at a better standard than the actual English ones. Well, hang on, hang on. How many foreign referees are there in the Premier League, Jack? You're on mute. <laughs> yeah, look, I think it's just it's just the one, Jared Gillett. Um, Who is great. But again, I, I also don't think there are that many brilliant world-class referees around the world. Mm. I think the, the biggest issue is the standards that we hold referees to – are exceptionally high. We don't ever want to see referees make mistakes, full stop. They shouldn't be making mistakes. It's their job. Um, but I don't think there are actually that many referees around who would be acceptable. I, I don't think, um, like, if you go to Italy, they have issues with refereeing all the time, including mm -hmm. extremely corrupt referees. Um, the Bundesliga, the, there's, there's constantly issues with refereeing decisions and VAR officials and... But I don't think you solve the problem by bringing in a few extra referees from overseas. Non, utter, utter nonsense. You're, you're widening the pool. I'm not suggesting you suddenly go and recruit all the Dutch referees or all the German referees. Widen the pool and make it, uh, you know, purely based on, on quality. And I think Silver made a really good point when he not so subtly commented on the fact that it's a big occasion, and I think the way referees are, are recruited um, is, is largely based on their their technical skill and interpretation of the game. 
And I think what should be equally important when you're actually sizing up a referee and filtering these guys as to who should be promoted, it's it's about their emotional and psychological stability in the face of immense pressure. Because I would argue that all of the referees, well, the vast majority of the referees in the Premier League are technically very good. But what always happens is that under huge pressure, we see uh, these flaws and mistakes. And um, so just, I reckon we, what... we, see it, we see it already around Europe as well. You look at the, the massive decision in the PSG Newcastle game where these referees all know who the bigger team is and who to give the advantage to. PSG got a 95th minute handball penalty that should never have been given. But in to to you know keep the balance and make sure PSG don't crash out of the Champions League, they get a get a penalty out of it. What I'm saying is that you you say that the cast the net wide and you'll get better results. If you look at who's refereed the previous World Cup and European finals, it's it's English referees. The, the English look, referees are actually the gold standard of referees. The problem is, but again, there's a handful who are the gold standard, and the rest below yeah. them are very poor. Yeah. So, so how about the other excellent referees in all the other competitions from around the world? Yeah, I'm not suggesting that 100% of the French or the German or the Dutch or the Italian or the Spanish referees are all better than than the FA referees. That's not the point. It's let's find the very best. Apparently, English refs, by comparison, are not paid that well comparatively either. That's got to be a factor as well. Dad, are you suggesting that all referees should go on man versus wild and prove their emotional um, stability under pressure and just put them under mild torture? Can we televise that and patent that and just put that under our name? Because I I want to actually watch that. Because I tell you what, a technically good referee who survives that He's, he's, you know, he's the cream of the crop. Because I mean, I'm not saying it's easy. It's incredibly difficult. And um, it's it's immensely difficult to withstand mm. that kind of pressure. And, um, but it's, we have to find better people, generally better people who can consistently perform better at the top, top level. Don't call it bias. I think that's crass. Because I think generally these guys are trying to do a good job, but some of them, you know, just aren't going to make the SAS. Genuinely, though, I don't like it's I mean, the biggest flaw in referees is the fact that they are just human beings just trying to make the best decisions that they can. And human beings are inherently flawed. And we um, are influenced. We we are influenced by everything. Our cognitive biases go crazy and put in certain circumstances, we're always going to be swayed to an extent. That's just human nature. I mean, I'd be very happy to have like little robots just going around and then have a VAR decision with human beings. I'd almost kind of prefer that sort of a setup. But until we get to that point where we have little wallies running around the Premier League, I, 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 don't, I don't necessarily see it changing. It's just human nature. Uh, can we keep talking about the game? Can we keep talking about the game? <laughs> oh, Sam, chopping! No, in. no, I like, I like, cut, I like it. I like it, but I do, I do want, I do want, I do. No, I just genuinely want to actually keep talking about the game here a little bit. Well, one last refereeing point that I will make is um, Fulham are actually going to be part of history in the next few weeks when 
Uh, Rebecca Welch becomes the first ever woman to referee a top flight match. What's up? Uh, she'll be refereeing our game against Burnley. And um, look, I actually think um, this is, it's firstly a, a massive moment, but also I think it it's the kind of thing that you want to see because I, I feel like there's going to be a little less bias when you get some of these referees coming up through the leagues. The first, and we see it with Jared Gillett. And again, I, I put Jared Gillett up there as probably one of the best referees in the Premier League at the moment. He, I've never seen him have any kind of bias. He's very considered he's not flappable, when making decisions. He's not flappable. He's very considered and he takes his time and he, he just calls it as it is. And I feel like Rebecca Welch will, will hopefully be doing something similar. I did see that she refereed a game on the weekend and there were um, a few people complaining about a penalty that was or wasn't given. Um, but look, that's fans of football in general. And look, it's kind of what we're doing as well. We're saying... Should it have been a red card? Should it not have been a red card? Should another foul have been given? It's, no. it's always no. tough for referees. What do you mean? To, no. To, well, <laughs> I think no. I I don't think I don't think we should actually characterise this conversation about should, was it a red card or wasn't it? I think we all agree. Technically, you know, I, I'm just, talking more about the other challenge on Jimenez. Yeah which wasn't looked at, that's what I'm talking about, is okay, it, okay. it got missed. And yeah. um, that uh, to me, that should have actually been potentially a red card because that's violent conduct, chucking an elbow in someone's face. I don't know yeah. if you saw the challenge in the West Ham Wolves game overnight as well, where the West Ham player comes flying in from the side with an elbow and cleans up the Wolves player clean in the face. Make sure you go and check it out on Twitter afterwards because it's insane. And again, it wasn't looked at by VAR. And it's the selectiveness of when VAR decides to look at things and when they don't that irks mm. me sometimes because as soon as there were issues with anything that happened to Newcastle, straight to VAR. When it's something that happens to little old Fulham, gets skipped over. But I agree, Sam. Let's get back to the game itself. Fulham actually did well considering we went down to 10 men to hold on to half time, And I, I genuinely believed that if we could hold it together until the last sort of 20 minutes or something, make a couple of subs and maybe something happens. But the the floodgates, I guess, sort of open 57th minute. Um, uh, Gumaresh manages to run through the whole line. The ball's bobbling around under his feet and it falls beautifully to the 17-year-old Miley who scores his first goal. And, of course, that's the kind of thing that happens against Fulham. The Newcastle's youngest goal scorer ever puts the ball in the back of the net against us um, when we're down to 10 men. A good finish, but again, do you guys agree that it was more down to the fact that it was, you know, at this point, the first half went for, I think it was 53 minutes. And so we'd played 30 minutes before half time, and then another 10 minutes at this point. We basically played a full 45 minutes with 10 men. Do you think we just got to the point where we just couldn't handle it any further? I think it's just inevitable, you know. It's 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 wonderful and impressive that we held on for as long as we did, but it truly is inevitable at this level. It's inevitable. Mm. I genuinely thought we did really, 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 really well. I, I think yeah. that actually shows um, a serious testament. And you know what? I'm actually really the thing that I usually like the most is that Silver just stuck to his guns for a really, really long time. And he could have just done something as simple as um, uh, sub um, uh, somebody off and then go five at the back 
or um, just uh, replace, I don't know, like Kenny and put like um, Menez up the top. But he didn't do that. He was like, no, the guys are good enough to just potentially get something out of this just as we are. We can score goals in this formation. And I, because that's a real show of confidence. And I was really, really happy to see that he stuck to his guns for as long as he actually did. Because he didn't really make any changes until what, about like, the 55th, 56th minute or so? Um, I think it was after the goal we made the changes. It was after um, the goal, yeah. I, f- I forget what time. But I was really, really proud of that because I thought we were so competitive for that whole stretch. And that was... We, I, oh, it's just bullshit, isn't it? Because like, I just don't want to be happy for... I just don't want to be like the receiving end on of somebody else's fairy tale story. And it makes you bitter. It makes you like an annoying person. But at the same time, it's just kind of like... I don't want to feel happy for this guy because it's genuinely happening at my expense here. Um, I think if you, if you're a Newcastle supporter and you're gloating about beating uh, Fulham three nil, when you literally had what? um, 65 minutes, Mm. 10 men. Uh, Yeah. Come on. Yeah, awesome. I, I I haven't seen many Newcastle fans gloating at at the win. Yeah. I think everyone realizes that with eleven versus eleven, it, it not necessarily a different scoreline, but it would have been a very different game for sure. Um, but yeah, look, we we just look leggy, and obviously, seven minutes after that, we go two 0 down. Almiron gets another goal against us. Um, Sammy, right. your your thoughts on the Almiron goal? Right. Um, uh, I want to know your guys' take on this as well, because for me, I think it's highly contentious because that feels offside to me. And I feel like, again, it's another version of just bollocks because what, when they're claiming it's like Diop's, um, back foot, but the check on that was minuscule, like really, no, like, I think- that was... I actually think it's 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 maths. You know, you draw the lines, geometry, if you want. It, it and it goes down to centimeters. It's it, I, I I believe that, and I and I'm happy to live and die on on those offside decisions. We know what the rules are. It doesn't it, it matter looked, if it's by nose. Yeah, it looked pretty tight. I agree. First glance, I actually thought, oh, maybe he's hmm. offside here. But then I didn't actually see Diop's back foot, which he just spot underneath Almiron. Um, I didn't realize that was his foot. And when you see his foot, you go, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, he's just just played him on side. And look, it's it's inches we're talking about here. Literally, mm-hmm. I mean, six six inches if Diop had just slightly moved his leg forward, that's offside. And, um, yeah. you know, we're, we're potentially still in the game. But um, it's tough to, again. But you live and die by it, don't you? You know. Yeah. Yeah, and look, third goal, Dan Byrne, ex-Fulham player, scores against uh, Fulham, even though he's a, a Newcastle boy. Um, I think at that point we were kind of hoping that it just wasn't going to blow out, and um, we managed to keep it to three nil. And look, post-game, Silver did say he was actually pretty pleased with the performance, considering. And I think we have to, in a in a weird way, be kind of pleased with it. We played. I think it went 54 minutes in the first half and there were seven minutes of injury time mm, um, yeah. in the second. So all up an extra 15 minutes or so. So he played 105 minutes and basically 90 of those with uh, with 10 men uh, to actually come out of it, not getting battered by a side that are sitting in the top four kind of is a pretty good result. Um, well, more like, yeah. more I, I importantly, Jack, 
our heads never went. I, I really felt like our heads never, ever went. And as tough as the job was, we were pretty resolute. And there's, there's, that's, I'm, you know, I've got a lot of admiration for that. It's and annoying even though, because like, men, we created chances as well. Yeah, mm. that's the part that really annoys me because it just kind of puts you in a state of if and whens and buts and maybes. Because I, I mean, it's all famous last words, and everyone's a genius in hindsight. But I really feel like with eleven men. We really, we probably, I'm not sure if we could have won, but we would have given a really, really good game because sure. we oh, played 100%. so well. And it's just, I'm reluctant to say a missed opportunity because at the end of the day, what's happened has happened. It's just frustrating, isn't it? I'm not reluctant to say that. It was a massive missed opportunity. Mm. Uh, Newcastle, that team was there for the taking and we threw it away. Um, through our own stupidity, unfortunately. But yeah. look, uh, football cliche, we move on. Let's have a quick look at the stats from the game. Um, Newcastle with 71 possession, um, obviously expected when you go down to 10 men. Newcastle, 27 shots with 10 on target. Fulham, just the six yeah. shots with four on target. Newcastle with 696 passes. Fulham with 287. Interestingly, when I was putting this slide together beforehand, I saw Fulham actually made more passes in the game against... Um, who did we play last week? West Ham? Yeah. Um, we made more passes against West Ham than Newcastle did against 10-man Fulham. So I think that shows the kind of dominance we've had in the last few weeks. Mm. Um, Newcastle with five corners to Fulham's one. Newcastle just the seven fouls to Fulham's 12. And obviously Newcastle with no yellow cards or red. Fulham with two yellows and one red in the game. Um, we'll take a quick look at the table um, Fulham now sitting in 11th place. Fortunately, the result didn't really affect us too much. Um, Brentford going down. Wolves uh, getting the draw last night. Um, Bo- oh, sorry, I think Wolves lost last night, actually. Um, Bournemouth, uh, unfortunately, their game obviously got postponed due to uh, Lockyer going down with a heart issue. Obviously, um, thoughts with him, and hopefully he recovers perfectly from that. Um, and Palace as well, not getting the best result, or good result, sort of, getting a draw. But Fulham stick in 11th place. Unfortunately, a minus three goal difference after the three goals conceded. But sitting comfortably in that um, sort of mid-table, guess I, I, you'd call it at the moment. There's a big cluster there with the teams just below us. But We really got away with it this week. <laughs> yeah, mm. look, um, results definitely went our way, I'd say. Um, you know, no one's really come gone flying away from us up above and uh, we haven't really been leapfrogged by anyone. I think Chelsea's the only team that overtook us this week and that's only because mm. they got a draw. Um, let's have a look, though, and move forward and talk about the game coming up uh, on Tuesday night. Um, so, sorry, I got the days wrong on the slide here, but um, Fulham take on Everton in the Carabao Cup quarterfinals. Games to be played at Goodison Park. Uh, it's a Tuesday night game, 7.45 kickoff. Uh, it's Wednesday for those of us in uh, Australia um, and uh, obviously Tuesday morning for those in the US as well. Or Tuesday afternoon, actually, more like. Um, a quick look at Everton's form and, Dad, Everton, despite obviously being quite low on the table and having issues off the field, geez, they're flying at the moment. Uh, just mm. run us through this this recent form. Yeah, I mean, look, um, you know, okay, they've beaten Burnley 2-0, but Chelsea 2-0, that's a good result. Newcastle 3-0, 
Um, that's a fantastic result. Um, Nottingham Forest, 1-0, less impressive. And then they've got done by Man United, 3-0. So, I mean, a very, very overall really good run of form, but that's a little bit all over the place when you look at the Man United result. Well, it's, I mean, Chelsea are in terrible form. Burnley's in terrible form. The Newcastle one, it's a bit of a red herring for me. Uh, Nottingham Forest, that's kind of standard, and I would expect that against um, Man U, just particularly at the time that they played them when they were really in disarray. Look, admittedly, I don't think that um, the the walkover that we played at the start of the season, um, uh, I think overall we are a better team. But, I mean, form is form. So it's... I disagree with that Chelsea result. I think as, as, as ordinary as Chelsea's form is at the moment, they've got individual brilliance. When's the last time we beat Chelsea 2-0? Um, oh, to be fair, so that, though, to be, yeah. To be fair, though, if we played them, if we played them at the same time, I think we probably would have got a similar result. And again, I know it's if and when well, and yeah. all that kind of stuff. But, but we played them <coughs> at, when they were on a bit of form, and they have since lost that. So who who's going to start for us uh, on in this game? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I think we. Sorry, up front. Can... I mean, up front. Yeah, well, I, I mean, in general, I think we probably keep a very similar eleven. Um, sure. The only changes I see, I wouldn't be surprised if Willian maybe comes back. Um, mm. Tim Ream is still out. Um, Adama Traore is still out as well. Uh, that was confirmed by Silver a little bit earlier. Um, I, I think realistically, we probably see Muniz start up front. He's the person who is preferred to come off the bench. Um, so maybe that's a little nod to Silva saying, uh, well, with Jimenez off, you're probably going to be the one playing against uh, Everton on Tuesday night, so get a few minutes in your legs. Um, didn't he, um, oh, look, didn't this, he get an injury? Muniz? Yeah. Well, he came on against didn't Newcastle. He have, didn't, he have, didn't he have a niggle um, in his ankle or no? I don't think so. Um, no. He didn't go off again, so... Um, Look, this this Everton side, without their 10-point points deduction, um, they'd actually be sitting above Brighton in or equal with Brighton in ninth. They're in very good form at the moment. And, look, uh, yes, the recent form maybe doesn't tell the full story with games against Forest, Burnley and a struggling Chelsea side, but they haven't conceded a goal in their last four games. They They score goals mm. fairly regularly. And like you said, Goodison Park's a very tough place to go to play games. Um, got a couple of stats here, and again, these are brought to you by Fulham Random, um, uh, which random Fulham stuff on Twitter. Uh, it's only the second time Fulham play Everton in the League Cup. Last meeting resulted in a 2-1 win for Fulham in the 2013 third round with goals from Berbatov and Darren Bent. Uh, it's the 10th Cup meeting between Fulham and Everton. Fulham have won five, three draws, and Everton have won one. Uh, Fulham have won their last three games at Goodison Park, their best ever run of victories at that venue. So, I mean, history tells us that we're actually in a very good spot coming up against Everton. Um, but, Dad, how do you see this game playing out? It's it's a bit of a weird one after a disappointing game on the weekend to, to try and bounce back so quickly against the team who are obviously in such good form at the moment. If If... 
Rao was not suspended, I'd be thinking, you know, there, there's probably a, a small handful of teams that might really cause us a lot of problems, and I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be considering Everton, despite their good recent form to be a problem for us. I'd expect us to brush them aside and beat them by two or three. Um, now, I'm back to where I was three or four weeks ago, saying I, 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 I don't know where the goals are going to come from, from our centre forward. Um, of course, there's there's a number of players that are very, very capable and in very good form. You know, Harry Wilson is in good form. Pereira is much, much better. Um, I'd, I'd back... I'd back um, Willian to get a goal if he if he's on for more than twenty minutes, um, and and then from set pieces, particularly if Tozan's playing, he he adds a lot of spice uh, to corner opportunities. So I'm I'm kind of less worried about our ability to score goals from open play from our sort of wingers and midfielders, but. Um, Vinny doesn't hasn't impressed in the last weeks. If he happens to be given a go, Jimenez seems to be trying very hard, but to me he's miles off the money, uh, Premier League standard. And you know we were just praising um, Jimenez being um, returning to form. So it's a it's a step back. How long is he out for? Just just uh, the one three games. So he misses Everton. Burnley and Bournemouth. Yeah, I mean, not not the worst. But we could have we could have used him against Bournemouth. That won't be an easy fixture. Um, you say not the worst. You you actually probably want him against those teams because I, I'd say they're the yeah. games where you almost back him in to win. definitely score goals. And, and they must the win goals. That yeah, exactly. So it, it is a shame that we You're actually right. lose him right. for those really big games. Um, uh, he is back for Arsenal. Chelsea and Chelsea, who are our two games after that. But look, I think by the time we get to the Chelsea game, which is the 13th of January, wouldn't be overly surprised if we didn't have another striker on our books by that point. Mm. I mean, it's it's almost bloody comical, isn't it? It's like, okay, um, Jimenez, Fine have a go. Yeah. You've, you've got a great chance here to be our number one man. Have a go. Fail, 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 fail. Okay, Vinny, have a go. Fail, 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 or injury or whatever. Now, you know, what what would be the chance that we would have predicted that that uh, Muniz has got no obvious competitor for the role right now, and he's he's literally you know probably going to be the guy who leads the line for the next two maybe three games. Who would have mm. thought? I mean, I for me, I'd probably prefer Vinicius to lead the line. I mean, honestly, I think um, I think I think this kind of screams nil all and goes to penalties for me. That's what it kind of feels like. I think that's a pretty fair call. Um, I I, I agree. I think it's going to be a bit of a slog. I mean, if we do remember our game at the start of the season where we beat Everton one nil at Goodison Park, it was not a classic. Mm. We got away with um, absolute murder there. To be honest, they missed a couple of blaring opportunities. Um, we snuck that goal through. I think it was BDR scored the yeah, goal in that game BDR. quite late on. Um, we we were fortunate to win that game, and and Everton 
have actually done pretty well ever since. Uh, this it's going to be a tough game for us. I, I'm uh, it's it's a really good opportunity though for us to actually go deep in a cup competition. And um, you know, if you have a look at the other teams who are still left in the League Cup, um, there's the potential for some really good draws for us. Um, if I have a quick look, I'll just pull up the teams who are playing in the other quarterfinals now. Uh, we got Port Vale playing Middlesbrough. So no matter what, you're going to have a team who are sitting either in the Championship or League One in the semi-finals. You've got Chelsea against Newcastle. Uh, again, Newcastle would not be hoping for another fixture to add to all their other fixtures. And Chelsea, we know, are struggling this season. And then Liverpool against West Ham. Liverpool, obviously, the clear favourites for the competition at the moment. And a West Ham side who we just beat 5-0. Like, it, it does look very open for us to potentially get a really good result here and have a real crack at winning a cup competition. I mean, I, I'm I'm still a little bit burned from uh, FA Cup against Man U last year, and if I I I I want us to find a way, we probably can't really do it with Silva because Silva is not necessarily known for his composure. But I would love for either us to get a striker that has an extreme amount of composure, like a like a Berbatov, like an an old smoking just completely deadpan nothing phases you situation or just like because the more we talk about this the more i can just see a blow up coming out of nowhere because bless us we don't necessarily have the best composure at the moment in the past couple of seasons it's not necessarily our our track record i don't really know what that meant but okay Uh, i i think realistically this is our best opportunity to win a trophy in a very, very long time. And we're still a few games away from even playing for a trophy, but uh, looking at the teams that are going to be in the draw, if we get a lucky draw and we draw the team who wins out of Port Vale and Middlesbrough, we're all but guaranteed a spot in the final and anything happens in a one-off game. Mm-hmm. Um, Dad and Sam, uh, Dad, I'll throw to you first. How much do you think we put on this game, considering we've got a couple of important league games that, like you said, a, a kind of must wins in the next few weeks. Well, in less in the next week or so, seeing as it's a bit a bit congested before the end of the year. Do you think Silver still goes full tilt for this competition and puts out our best eleven, or do you think we'll see some rotation considering the league has to always be the focus? Hundred percent, yes. Silver puts out his best team. He sees the opportunity. He sniffs it. Sammy? Yeah, I think you got to put out your best team. I mean, uh, the Carabao Cup, it's 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 too glorious a trophy for us not <laughs> to it's not it's too I mean it's it's written in the stars, isn't it? Um and, and I, I want that and I feel that Silver does too. Uh look, I, I really hope that's the case. I think this, like you said, it's it's an opportunity for us to go deep in competition. I think Silver does sense that this might be our moment and it's one that I don't think we can actually let slip through our fingers um a really important game and and look maybe it's Everton who actually have to consider it and look at it and go we've got fixtures in the league coming up that we really can't afford to lose considering our position and if there's a potential for further point deductions hanging over their head which I've heard a few times spouted that there might be 
um, if you look at the the run that Everton have got coming up, they've got to play Spurs, Man City, Wolves, Villa, Fulham, Spurs, Man City in their next mm. um, what's that seven league games. It it's not an easy run for them. There's a high possibility that they maybe pick up three points from their next seven games. And look, if if Luton or Burnley somehow start to actually get their act together a little bit and win a couple of those games in the next seven, you could see Everton actually slipping into a bit of danger there. I don't think they're completely out of it yet, despite being only five points be behind us. With that, with that run coming up, though, I think it does put a little bit of pressure on. Um, so, look, we'll, we'll wait and see. It'll be a good game. Um, obviously, we I doubt we'll be watching it live considering the... 3.45 kickoff, although, Sam, you might catch on your way to work, a 6.45 kickoff for you. Probably, probably, you know. Be a nice drive into the office. Um, so, look, a big game coming up. We'll uh, obviously touch base later in the week on that one. One last thing I want to discuss before we um, finish up for tonight is a bit of a rumour that's floating around at the moment. I know you hate the rumour, Sammy, but this is an interesting one, just as a general discussion point. And it's around this man, Fabio Carvalho. Um, now, he's currently on loan from Liverpool at Leipzig, and it's gone terribly. I think he's only played a handful of minutes in the half season he's been there so far. The question I pose here is, would you take Carvalho back? There's been a few reports stating that um, his representatives are open to a move back to Fulham. Obviously, there's a lot to consider there. Is it a permanent move? Is it a loan deal? Um, but he, he's not in Liverpool's first team um, plans at this stage. Um, Harvey Elliott is obviously miles ahead of him, uh, and the, the move for Harvey Elliott seems to have worked in the move to Liverpool, but Cavs' move just hasn't worked out so far. So the question is, would you take him back, Sammy? I'll, I'll go to you first. If, if it's a yes, on what terms? Well, I hate rumours, but I love a story. Um, uh, for me, it's... It's just what car value are we getting? Are we getting um, uh, a kid who's tucked tail and gone back home because uh, no one else wants him and they've just sheepishly rocked up at our door, just wet in the rain? I don't want that player. Um, uh, I wouldn't mind, however, a guy that's gone, hey, you know what? I messed up. Um, uh, I am here to give 110%. I am here to come back absolutely firing. This is my club now. I am uh, ready to step up and be the main man again. And I'm going to come with like a stupid amount of firepower. Um, uh, hell yeah. I'd, I'd 100% take that back. But I don't, and this is where I kind of borderline slander him a little bit. I don't necessarily know what his character is, genuinely. I haven't seen enough of him to know. I mean, the most the most amazing thing about Polina for me is how Polina took a massive, massive blow and then came back to work 100% committed and was like, nope, I'm here, I'm staying, I'm still the man and I'm still going to give you 110%. I don't know if um, Fabio is that guy. I would love it if he is. And if he is, I'll welcome him back with open arms. But until I see that, I'm not sure. If, I don't know. 
Yeah, I mean, to be fair, we didn't know if Polina was that guy until he actually got back. I mean, of he, course not. We weren't even not. sure after everything went down because he missed the first game after the mm. whole debacle happened. So, yeah. Um, I, I think the other thing to consider here, and sorry, I know you haven't even answered yet, Dad, but the fact that we know how good Marco Silva is with people. Mm. Um, Silva obviously spent time with Carvalho and Carvalho thrived under him. Uh, will Carvalho be an instant starter in the team? Probably not. But in terms of squad depth, especially when you've got someone like Iwobi going away um, to African Cup of Nations in January, is it not a good decision to bring someone like this back in, even just for cover during the rest of the season? He's only played a handful of games for Leipzig and all off the bench. Do you think he's going to get more of an opportunity playing with Fulham, considering Silva knows what he's about? And he is a quality player. To, to answer your question, Jack, I think I, no, I, no, I would no, take no, him. No, no. I would I would take him. Now, let me, finish. Let, me, now let me finish. Let me put no, the full stop on. No, let me put that, the full stop that's on. Good. That's good. No, no, no. Let me finish. Let me finish. Let me finish. Let me finish. I would take him <laughs> back, but I'd be watching him with a keen, like, intense eye. I'd be giving him bombastic side eye. Dad, you yeah, Ridiculous. <laughs> Terrible call. Terrible um, call. Oh, I don't even know where I am anymore. Uh, yes, Silver knows the guy. I'd be interested to know. Yeah, there are rumours floating around. I can understand why he would be looking for pastures new, whether or not he's got the... And I agree with Sam. Whether, whether or not he's got the temperament to actually come back cap in hand to Fulham and really work hard to to kind of prove his worth in what is a, a good Fulham side. M- Marco knows him. I think Marco probably ever be a pretty good judge of whether he would be up to that. I I know he's very young, but he doesn't strike me as gritty. He strikes me as being, you know, a player with a lot of flair. And I don't I don't know that he, he is up to the challenge. I, he, he needs to be. If he comes back, sort of stepping back even further, I don't mind a loan, but there has to be an our option to purchase him. Mm. Um, because if there's no there's no option to purchase, I'm just not interested. Um, of course, we could do with a backup, but I'd take someone else. I wouldn't I wouldn't take him back if just on a loan basis. I think it's complicated. Um, I, I think. He's a talented young guy, <clears throat> and if he wants to be at Fulham, that like you guys have both said, if he wants to be there, he he could he could really add something. Um, but I don't know. Don't know where the rumor is coming from. Don't know how credible it is that he wants to leave. Oh, and, oh, by the way, it's Leipzig, not Leipzig, please. Um, <laughs> Fair, I'll um, that. Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm there's no surprise that he might be looking to leave. I, I hope he has spanked his manager with a massive stick because I think he's really done him a massive disservice. And the so-called other posse around him are obviously talking it up and trying to convince him his shit didn't stink and that he should move on and Fulham wasn't good enough for him. Um, You know... I've got no problem welcoming him back, but I hope those people realise they've made a massive mistake and and you know 
could could well have broken the guy's career. He's, he's young, and it, you know it remains to be seen. But um, yeah, it's complicated. You know, it's really complicated. You know, someone like Sessegnon, if if he wanted to come back, he's been away for a really long time. Sessegnon, he's not a young kid anymore, and he's he's seen a bit of action. And if he wanted to come back, I could see a more natural pathway for him returning and mm. being part of our setup. But this is almost a little rebound. You know, he's he's sort of petulantly left, if 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 you ask me. And yeah. um, I, I actually I disagree with that. I don't think it was petulant in the way he left. I think that's cocky. You have cocky. to take a, he's too big no, for his no, boots. No, 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 no. You have to take a step back and understand that even at I mean, he signed when he was nineteen. Um, you don't turn down opportunities like that because you never know if they'll come again. And, and I've seen it said multiple times for for football players. Yes, maybe for your long term development, it should have been better to sign a sign a new contract with Fulham and stay for another five years. But you don't know if you'll ever get the opportunity to play for a club like Liverpool ever again. You you might not be in the same Ooh, run so, of form. So, so he's and a you may twenty never year old. Picked up at that point. I, I get it. He's a twenty year old who you could argue doesn't know better, but his manager can't be 20. Yeah, and of his course. Family, I mean, the manager's family. obviously... No, his it, manager seeing... is... Yeah, huge commissions. But, uh, again, again, you look at... It, it can work. You, you see a lot of players who move at a young age and do very well and, and end up having great careers. Uh, and I think, you know, it's it's all about taking that chance. Okay. And you're not, you're not your 20. You're not 20. <laughs> and you're not you're not even a professional footballer, right? But at your age now, looking at him, do you think? Uh, it's, I know it's hindsight, but did, did you actually think he was good enough to make it at Liverpool? I, I didn't. I, I did, and, and same with Cessignon. I thought Cessignon would actually do better than he has at Tottenham. Um, he's not. I guess it comes down to the, man, the manager as well. Yeah, of course. And, and look, I, I genuinely I thought out of all of them that Harvey Elliott made the worst move, and it's turned out that he's made the best move so far. Um, and same with Moussa Dembele, when, as in young Moussa Dembele. Um, I thought that was a bad move, and, and he shouldn't have done that. But again, it's turned out very well for him. He's played Champions League football, and I think he's made a couple of appearances for France. Like, I, I, I just think it's, it's harsh to judge a player on a decision they make when they're young because, like I said, you don't know if you're ever going to have an opportunity like this come up again. You move to a big club and, look, even if it fails, you step back to other clubs at a similar level to Fulham. It might not be Fulham, but maybe you fail at Liverpool and you end up at Brighton or you end up at West Ham and have a great career off the back of that. But it it's same as, you know, any other job. You are adding things to your CV. And if someone sees your CV as you're an ex-Liverpool player, they know that that incredible scouting team at Liverpool rates you as a seriously good talent and well, I don't think he's added anything to his CV Jack. Of course he has. He's been signed by Liverpool in the first place. It's it's a big call for a team like that to make a commitment to sign you because they obviously believe you've got potential. Um then it's on the player to actually see that through. And on top of that you need the opportunities as well and it hasn't fallen into place for him so far. Um I think, I in, in terms of I was in terms of my answer to the question, if I can. Um, I there's it's a complicated one. I would 
take him back on a permanent transfer more than happily, as long as we weren't paying more than we let him go for, which it was initial five million, and I think it ended up being seven point seven million. I wouldn't want to pay more than seven million for him, basically. Mm. Um, I'd take him on loan to the end of the season, even without an agreement to buy, as long as we weren't stung for any of his wages. So if mm. Liverpool were paying his entire wages, he sat with us, we could use him if he wanted to, and then he goes back and we use him purely as backup. I think that would be a good deal as well. And why, I would why also would take a loan deal. agree to that. Because they want his, de- he, they want him to develop. That's the whole point in a loan move. The reason they wanted to recall him um, from his current loan move is because he's not getting an opportunity to play any football and therefore not improving. But mm. if he's, if Liverpool spoke with Marco Silva and Silva said, "Look, I'm not going to start him every game, but when Awobi goes away, he's probably going to play a few games, and he's also going to be probably someone who I sub on in every single game." To, uh, to give him at least 20, 30 minutes in every game and he'll occasionally start if he plays well, that would be a better deal for, for Liverpool for his development. Mm. Look, I, I mean, mean, on the positive side, he can speak Portuguese. Yeah, no, honestly. Well, I mean, and, and I know, he, I know that's... He's from Ballam. <laughs> I, 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 do, I, do I do think that, um, I mean, if, if, you, if you play at Liverpool in any capacity, I do think you just casually pick up just little bits from, I mean, if you're hanging around Virgil van Dijk, you're going to pick up something. And if you're hanging around like Darwin Nunes, McAllister and Mo Salah, you're, you're going to learn, even if it's like the smallest little tidbit, you're going to benefit from that. I think he, um, uh, he has been aggressively humbled and um, I think he could, again, it just all comes down to um, uh, if if he, this is in his thought process and zeitgeist and this is something that he wants, then I'm actually inclined to think that it's probably going to be a positive uh, decision because he's he's looking for redemption. He's looking to completely remold himself and he's going to be going to a place where he knows he can get game time. He knows silver. So I, I could I could totally see it working. I just don't necessarily have that much trust because I don't necessarily trust the player. <laughs> but I can see it. I can see it working. Yeah, I think it's harsh not to trust the player when you don't really know him. Um, but that's he, the thing. How can you ever trust a twenty-one-year-old? Again, very harsh. There's no, some pretty good twenty-one-year-olds no, out there. No, I, I think. I think that's fair to say, to Jack. I think we watch these players week in, week out. We see them in tough situations. We see them, you know, in when when they're excelling and 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 riding a wave. And we see them how they dig in when things aren't going very well. So I think we 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 can say that we can sort of judge uh, the likelihood of how they'll behave. Well, I, I think he's handled himself very well, considering he got. Frozen out of he he started his first season with Liverpool. He played the majority of their league games and then got frozen out of the team after December. Um, and comments that Jurgen Klopp made saying that he is putting his head down and working hard to try and get his way back in the team and not complaining about being left out because Liverpool were doing well and that's all that mattered. And he wanted to get back into the first team and so agreed to go on a loan, even though maybe it's not what he really wanted to do, but he agreed to do it to try and get his way back into the first team plans. I think that for, if, if you're going to go back to his age for a 21 year old, that's shows really good character for me. Someone who the manager is yeah, yeah, saying is actually yeah, cool. putting their head down and, and working hard to get his way back into the team rather than 
having a sook and sitting back on his very nice contract. And um, I, look, I, I always like Carvalho. I think he was a better player than Sessegnon um, and very exciting. And I think having Silva put him into that team alongside blokes like Pereira and Willian, a, a killer Tom Kearney at the moment, a Jaapolinia behind him, I think he could actually be a really exciting prospect, uh, even mm. as a squad player. Sure. I'd really mm. like to see him actually join in a young player who has a bit of a chip on his shoulder and kind of needs to prove a point coming into a team like that with some drive. I, I think it would actually work out really nicely and be a good deal for us. Do it I think it's going to happen? Not really. I mm. don't think the transfer itself is going to happen. I no. feel like it's a bit of a pipe dream. Uh, I, I would like to see it happen, but I just... I have this feeling that it's it's you know just one of those news stories that floats around and isn't actually going to come to fruition. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll wait and see. The the window is close upon us. It's only well, it's two weeks today actually until the window opens. So wow. we're almost at the point that Sam really loves when we can talk about rumors every podcast. And oh God, I hate it so much. All I the haven't cool stuff going on. And also have to handle a whole Polina situation going on all over again. It's going to be a uh, month of dread. I really hate, I really, really hate the transfer rumor saga situation bollocks. Before we it's finish up, be though, I'll, I'll um, put forward a question from Steve Reynolds on our live stream. Um, let's stir the brown stuff. Um, Jao Polina one way and Fabio Carvalho plus cash the other way in a deal with Liverpool. Simply, let's say the, the amount was 50 million for Polina plus Carvalho. Would you take it, Dad? Yes or no? No. I want more for Polina and I'd rather see him go out of the Premier League. Um, he gets his wish. We don't get a, a, a terrible opponent. Um, and I'd, I'd, but there would be a price, and if it was eighty million plus Carvalho, yeah, I'd do that. Yeah, good call. I'm t- I'm totally with Dad. It's that degree of separation. Like I love that Jude Bellingham and Harry Kane are in the Bundesliga and um, La Liga respectively. It makes me love and appreciate them because there's that little bit of separation. And I can just watch my friends just being like, ah. So I, if Polina goes, I don't want to see him at another Premier League club. I want to see him at Bayern Munich and winning five Champions Leagues in a row if I do have to lose him. And if it's a swap for Polina and money and Carvalho, it's genuinely not enough for me. I love Polina too much and I think he's too valuable. Uh, I mean, I think either way, Sam, he can have to... Uh, I'm giving you six months now to start dealing with the fact that Polina will not be a Fulham player in I know. 12 months' time, realistically. I know. Um, but I, I look, I think it's actually a really good point. I would agree that I'd prefer Polina to not be in the Premier League. Um, the teams that have been um, put out there as potential suitors for Polina, Arsenal, I doubt they're going to spend another 70 million, having already spent 100 on Rice. Um, Liverpool, again, I think they're going to have to outlay a huge amount. Um, talking 70, 80 million from Liverpool. Um, Man City, there's been talk of us potentially having some sort of swap deal with Phillips, maybe 50 million plus Calvin Phillips. Wouldn't be the worst deal in the world, although it makes Man City impossible to ever play against ever again. <laughs> um, 
But Bayern Munich, yeah, look, I, I think the, the one positive here is we managed to hold on to Polina for a little bit longer and he's edging ever closer to 30 and you don't really want to be picking up and spending 70 million on a 30-year-old. So mm. it does play into our hands a little bit. But look, that's a, that's a conversation for two weeks' time when we do get actually to the transfer window and these rumours start flying thick and fast. But it is on the horizon. So buckle up, Sammy, because it's coming, baby. Um, guys, I think we can probably finish up there. Covered a lot more than I expected, longer than I expected, considering uh, how I just didn't want to talk about the Newcastle game whatsoever. But... Um, a big game on Tuesday night with the Cup quarter final. Fingers crossed we get a good result there. Dad and Sam, thank you for joining us. Dad, thank you for your time tonight. Great. Yep. Good chat, guys. Sammy, thank you for joining us. Off to bed for you. Yeah, I've had a bit of a roller coaster of emotions now because I started on a low. We got kind of high, and then we've gone back to a low by mentioning transfer rumours. But alas, I can... I can I can rest well knowing that I had a very wonderful conversation here tonight. Well, hopefully uh, the next Fulham feeling you'll have will be a high after we beat Everton in the Cup. So Damn fingers right. are firmly crossed. Thank you to everyone who's joined us on the live stream tonight and thank you to everyone who follows along as always. Please do share the podcast with all your Fulham friends. Make sure people know where to listen. Thank you again to everyone. And as always, come on you whites.